1: folks and welcome to episode 91 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host Bart Bouchotts and this is the show for April 2021. Today is going to be a slightly odd show because uh, while I'm hosting I'm sort of the guest really. Uh, So I've been doing this series within a series where I've asked photographers to come on and basically share their love of any photographer of their choice. And I've been itching to share my photographer but I can't. I could just do it, me talking to a mic, but that will be boring. So what I did instead was I got one of my favourite fellow podcasting photographers to join me as a guest. So I'm basically going to hand this show over to my guest host, who's then going to interview me on my own show. So uh, guest host Antonio Rosario, welcome.
2: Welcome. Hey, welcome to the Let's Talk Photography podcast. (laughs) This is Antonio.
1: (laughs) It's it's kind I, of an odd one, right? But you you were kind enough to come on and uh, be one of the first guests of this series. Um so I figured you'd be the the right person to uh
0: to, to come on and turn the tables on me. Uh, okay,
2: so I get to set all the uh set all the uh firsts for the show, right? All the There you go. What we're going to do from from now on, what you are going to do from now on, yeah. <laughs> I'm <gonna have> to... <laughs> okay, that's a lot of pressure. No. <laughs> uh it's been such a while since uh we've um We've talked and I really kind of regret that. I know I wanted to have you on my show and haven't done that yet, but uh, well, it's great to be on your show doing this. I'm glad you mentioned your show
1: because you have started a new chapter with a new co-host. So why don't you take a few minutes to uh, share with the listeners what's happening over on Street Shots?
2: Oh, well, okay. Yeah. So um, I have a, I'll just start off. I have a new uh, host, Ward Rawson, who I met through um, doing a uh, um I was a guest on uh the now defunct um podcast with uh Sid and Mac. Why am I spacing out on this? I was just going um,
0: now that you've spaced out, I've spaced because I the shutters. I did this last time and they're gonna kill me. It's <laughs> Sid and time. Mac, right? At the end of the day,
2: shutter and sh- Yeah, sh- Shutter time with Sid and Mac and, and uh I met Ward through uh through them through Mark Ryerson too. Also, Mark Ryerson is a friend of Ward and, uh, uh, eventually, uh, Mark and, um, myself and Mac and Ward and a couple of other people started a photography collective that we, we maintain and we have a little place on discord. And so we've been coming, becoming friends at a distance.
0: Yeah.
2: And, uh, Ward and I share uh, a, um, a kind of love for photography, uh, that, um, mainly cause I think we're, we're, we're in the same realm of thinking about photography. And for some reason we just hit it off when we're talking to each other. Yeah. And I've had Ward as a guest on my show several times because I think he's really great about, um, uh, just his enthusiasm with photography and his, uh, I, I blame him for all the extra photo books now that I've got <laughs> on my, on my, on my shelf. Um, uh, and so I've learned a lot from him as well. And and we just have a natural rapport when we're talking to each other, and so it's at, it's been kind of dwell brewing for like a year or so uh, that I would uh, ask him to be on the be a, a co-host, but I was thinking I was like sort of pre-thinking it hits. I'm like, well, now he's a busy guy, and now it's the pandemic, and we all have to look for jobs and stuff like that. And what do you have time? And I think uh, I was talking to Sid, sort of offline, and uh, she says like I think she was recommending or she was like, you guys would be perfect as hosts. And I said, like, yeah, I know I just haven't asked him. And then finally I finally said, well, let me just ask yeah. and see what happens. And he said, yeah, you know, and, um, I was really excited by that. And our first inter- we our first show together as official host and co-host was, um, interviewing, uh, Melissa Breyer, who is one of the photographers and contributors to this book, uh, women, uh, street photographers. And that sort of, sort of fell on my lap in an interesting way just because I got I got uh, called by um or emailed by the publicist and asked me if I wanted a copy of the book. Yeah. And so I said yes, and then the, she said, if you want to interview any of the photographers, I'm like, okay. And then I bounced it off of Ward and Ward's like, yeah, that would be great. And so anyway, that's how that started. And um, I think Ward and I, when I talked to him, we're of the same age. We're born in the same year, and I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it, for me it means that there's someone who's – who grew up in photography in sort of the same generations. We went from, uh, you know, shooting black and white film and film cameras to early digital. We just moved along those yeah. paths in the same direction. So I just felt really uh, natural to ask him. And I was so excited. And I'm still so excited and honored that he said yes to to be a second. And since Tom left the show a while back, I really missed that. Um, having that other voice like I love when I'm on your show and I can talk to you about photography and you know the voices are not just in my head well they are kind of in my head with the (laughs) I
1: I sort of do both right because sometimes I do a solo show and sometimes I have a guest on and I don't think I would want to do solo shows all the time I, I think that would I enjoy them sometimes but it's really really nice from time to time to have someone else to talk to which is why I have people like yourself on and so I can imagine that after having been a two person show for so long with Tom that you were ready to to go back to that model.
2: Yeah, and I really missed Tom. Tom had a really great way when um with talking with people. I think just his nature because he's a pastor and just his his personality and stuff like that and he really had a great way of pulling stuff out of out of anybody and um I don't really have that skill <laughs> yet. And so I think when I um when I went solo, it was a little harder for me to, to uh, get really enthusiastic for asking guests. I just didn't feel like I, I would ask for people I knew like Mar, um like Ward or Mark or Mac I'd have on the show. Um, I'm sorry I haven't had you on yet. And I know you offered it and I just I haven't it wasn't
0: anything that I didn't want you on. It's just, you know, Time the inertia of- to line up. Right. It's. But
2: it, yeah, you know, inertia too, getting off your butt and, and saying, I'm going to go do this. And then, like, ah, I don't do it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, <laughs>
1: but, I, look, I do a monthly show and I have this terrible tendency to be, you know,
0: I look at my calendar and go, oh, look, it's the 24th. Ooh, I should probably think of a show topic. <laughs> that's, ex- that's exactly what I say. Exactly. You know, but, you know, the, the other thing about having a co host that I'm
2: realizing is that now I have someone who I'm accountable to in some way. And, and, uh, Ward was saying, Let, you know, let's do it as long as we can make sure we have subjects to talk about and whatnot. And and I suddenly got into make, wanting to start making my show a little bit more of a show. I mean, I'm doing it because I love it, but I really want to take it to other levels. And so I think having another person to be accountable for. Uh, two, I should say, um, is, is really helpful for someone like me who, um, I think I kind of need that. So, uh, and yes, yeah, here it is. The, what are we on the 25th? And I'm like, I got to put out another show <laughs> the next couple of days. And so, uh, sure. I got to get in touch with the board today. So, but anyway, uh, it, so I, I'm, it's been a while since we've been together and you're sort of reintroducing to me this idea of like seeing you, I'm looking at you on, on Skype and, and I have a real desire to talk, you know, more so than if I was just hearing the, Audio, so, um, but I'm really excited that you want me to interview you about uh, this this uh, photographer who are inspired you to to um, to do the kind of photography you're doing now. So,
1: I, 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 it's interesting. I'm not, I'm not sure I want to emulate him. I just really, 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 really admire his work, and I think it's worth sharing because there's nerdy railway photography. Actually, no, let me rephrase that. There's nerdy train photography, and then there's really good railway photography. And people sometimes look at me really funny when I say, no, 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 I like railway photography, not train photography. And they go, what do you mean? What's the difference? (laughs) Well, A train is a piece of machinery that runs on a track. A railway is this massive thing that that does have trains, right? Without trains, a railway is not much of a railway, but it has rails. But it also has massive infrastructure. And it also has lots and lots of human beings. And it exists in a place. And it's usually an important part of that place. So the railway is this thing that is part of the community. It's a much bigger story. And it's really hard to capture that in photographs. And I, I don't, I mean, I, I try to, but I don't think I do even a tenth as good of a job as, oh, Winston Link, who's, who's my, my hero for the day, who I'm going to uh, proselytize to you all. But he really, really captures that sense of the railway as a place that is part of the community and i mean he seriously goes out of his way to capture it as part of a community um and one of the fun things i found is that in 1990 which is a long time ago they they in england of all places they made a documentary about him um called what was it called trains that passed in the night which is a very romantic name for a documentary um but it's a it's on youtube all of it for free so it's actually linked in the show notes. The whole documentary is just there. You can just watch it. I mean, it's it's obviously a VHS rip or something. It's not the world's highest quality. But you get to hear hear him in his own voice. And they go back to some of the places he photographed and recreate some of the photographs. So I guess I should get some more context, right? So, this,
2: well, Can I just quickly ask, ask you a question yeah. about this for a second? We're talking about the documentary. I'm curious that why do you think that it was... Um, Uh, A British-made documentary, someone in Britain acknowledging uh, this guy's work when he's an American photographer. In fact, he was was born in Brooklyn, you know? So it's interesting that within his own country – now, we don't know if there isn't some hidden lost documentary about him that was made by someone here, but – It's interesting that you guys over in the UK recognized this guy's work and decided that you wanted to make a a documentary about him. So I'm. I just wonder if you had a thought about that, or I'm just sort of. There's a very strong,
1: in terms of documentaries, the UK is stronger on them in general, and in terms of anything industrial, there's a lot of love for the industrial revolution in the UK because that's where it started. And so you actually will find quite a lot of documentaries about steam and that sort of golden age of steam, and they're very often quite romanticized. Uh, but the, the, I think there's there's a sufficient community in the UK for that kind of a documentary to to have a chance, and it obviously got made. So
2: mm-hmm. I can also propose that that the way the rest of the world thinks about railways is a lot different than we do in the United States here. And we don't take them as seriously, I think, which is an unfortunate, you know, this is a sorry, a little commentary about this. But, you know, I see all the pictures that you take. uh, And I see what this gentleman was doing in the in the 40s and 50s and and, uh, early 60s and how he took it seriously. But today, you know, if you look at uh, United States railways, other than shipping freight, it's really a lost, um, uh, lost opportunity. And I'm, I'm also guessing that you know, people in uh, Britain, when they saw his work and said, so like, yes, he's thinking about railway in the same way that we do as a as a nation. And, yeah. um, you know,
1: anyway. well, I definitely think you're onto something there. The, 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 he's a, a kindred soul. I think they recognized in him. Yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah. So yeah. anyway,
1: I think one of the things I love about it. So Owenston Link is this guy's name and his professional work is as a photographer. But he was a commercial photographer. He worked for an advertising agency. Then World War II happened. Then he worked for the military as a photographer. And then he went back and set up his own agency. But he was a professional photographer taking pictures of things for corporations. That's what he did by day. But what he did to have fun was capture the dying days of steam. So he basically, it was announced that his local railroad was going to end steam traction. and we were going to scale it down over the years. And he felt it should be captured. He really felt that someone should save this for posterity. And while I love his photography, he's more famous, actually, for his audio recordings. So he would take audio recordings of the steam engines and stuff. But to me, his photography stands out. And, I mean, he's, he's a New Yorker through and through. And particularly when you watch the documentary, he has a, I mean... It's my show, so I can say it. He just has this wonderful, no-bullshit <laughs> personality. Like, this this amazing, just cut straight to the chase. And I, I think the quote I just can't get out of my head is, I can't move the sun, and it's always in the wrong place. And I can't even <laughs> move the tracks. So I had to create my own my own environment through lighting. The guy's photography is almost all at night. And this is why. he, he Basically, he's a control freak. And it, as so many photographs, I completely understand that the sun... It's always on the wrong side of the bloody locomotive, right? In Ireland, we paint the front of our locomotives bright yellow for not killing people reasons. And so we get it. I can shoot them when their face is in the shade because they're bright yellow. But that's not... That's just lucky, right? Most of the time, it's really bloody annoying that you can't make the sun be in the right place. You can't get the sun right. So his answer was way more ambitious than my answer, <laughs> answer bring the big sun big. with you <laughs> yeah i mean with the amount of flashes he used i mean i think you immediately caught out there's a link in the show notes to a self-portrait of him with his assistant and he would have 10 20 30 flashes set up to take a shot it's just stunning. and
2: i think it's important to recognize since I, i'm looking at this equipment and uh it you know some of it looks familiar in uh you know, having mentioned my age and so having crossed over a little bit into into his world, each when you look at this picture, you have to realize each of the flashes has have multiple light uh flash bulbs in them. Yeah. And it's not even like an electronic flash like we have today. He's shooting with uh like one shot probably fires off multiple bulbs.
0: If Maybe all single, of them. Yeah. I don't know.
2: Right. And um that's it. One shot, and then he's got to him or his assistant have to go and replace all those bulbs in each of his, uh, you know, um, uh, flash heads, and and for for him, uh, for O uh, Winston, like that's easier than trying to move the sun. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah, but it's also it's it's. It, I mean, that, you're right. I mean, there's that massive like this initial setup and everything. But the thing is, he also doesn't control the trains. This isn't a setup. These are working railways, so. Those trains aren't running on his schedule. They're just doing their thing. And mm-hmm. and he is coming along and setting up these, these elaborate shots. And in the documentary, you hear him describe one, one shot where the first day they came, the train was timetabled to be there at 10. And the first day it came early at 9. So the next day they came early at 9 and it came early at 8. And then the next day they <laughs> came early at 7 and it didn't come till midnight. But they did get it this, that, that, you know, third time's a charm. So when you add that into it, his work is even more amazing. Um, but he, he really, really, really focused on getting the railway in the community. So the the links in the show notes are in chronological order, which I thought was sort of an interesting way to look at his work. It's, it's, it's large, it's all, it's largely, but not completely black and white. And the black and white stuff is, is on gelatin prints, silver gelatin prints. And, it, the vast, vast majority is at night, but it's interesting. there's actually his well, earlier shots are actually of the people. So the very earliest shot I have is from 1950, which is you know a railway worker replacing the or cleaning this gigantic headlight on this nose cone of a massive steam engine, and it, it you know it, it dwarfs the it dwarfs the guy. It's the the headlight's bigger than his head. Um, but it's you know so the focus is very much on the guy, right? The the people rather than on on the train.
2: Well, it's interesting, you know, at the beginning, you're just saying the distinction between train photography and railroad photography. And I'm thinking of it, you know, as I'm looking through his pictures, you know, he's really interested in ca- capturing the entire context and what railway means in in, in general. And, you know, it, it reminds me of like, oh, gosh, and I don't mean this in, the, in a negative way at all, but like the people who are interested in model trains. Right. You know, you're not just interested in. The, the 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 actual device itself, the HO yes. scale or the N scale or something like that, you're really interested, which I resonate with because I used to um, love looking at model trains, but you're interested in the entire environment, you know, and, and you see these setups that people would make with, uh, or still make, with uh, model trains, and uh, you, you know, you're know, you blown away by it because, like, look at all the detail, but you're seeing how like the railroad intersects in the landscape and what it means to the whole community, and in a sense, when I look at his pictures, and I'm guessing you are too, you're getting the sense of like that. That's what he's capturing. Of course, yeah. he's working on massive scales, and 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 he doesn't Real have people. like you said, he doesn't have control over things. He has to sort of
0: wait. Oh, the train's coming at nine o'clock, so that's when we take our one shot. Our one <laughs> shot, yeah. With all of this massive setup, yeah, one shot, one chance, yeah, yeah. But like, I'm looking at this shot
2: that I thought was really interesting. Of these children playing in uh, a river at night, number one, splashing and whatever. And there's a, it looks like a roadway, an elevated roadway. And above that, there's the Norfolk and Western train crossing and steam coming out of the top. And, you know, the entire thing is lit. And, you know, I'm thinking, A, the logistics of this is is crazy. But in relationship to what you said about, like, the train showing up on time, um, this is an, an instance where he had to know. Like what time the train was going to pass uh, yeah. on that thing, and also find a bunch of kids somewhere yeah. uh, or people to go splash in a in a in a uh, a river at night.
0: <laughs> well, yeah.
2: So
1: the, for people looking along in the show notes, the picture Antonio's talking about is Hawksbill Creek Swimming Hole, and so I mean, on the one hand, there's a lot of planning went into that, right? So he he had to get his flash set up, he had to find volunteers to to play in the water. And he had to be there when the train was there. But also, then there's the decisive moment because even if you know the train is due at nine o'clock, it won't be there at exactly nine o'clock. So he's also then waiting to press his one shot at the shutter at exactly the right moment when the train is just perfectly in frame and perfectly in his light. And he won't see where that light is until he presses the button. And when he presses the button, all the bulbs blow. So that means he didn't fire it beforehand. He just... With enough skill, knew where his light would be. Which he describes in the documentary as people are like, "But don't you do a test shot?" It's like, "No," in a, in a, <laughs> in a very New York way. He just says, "No."
2: <laughs> it was, it was the practicality of that in in his time period was just you know, it, it, just imagine it's not possible. How could you do a test shot? And um, what would you do then? Like run to a portable dark room and start processing it? It wasn't like he had eight <laughs> by ten <laughs> sheets of Polaroid film.
0: Yeah, there's no chimping. You know.
2: <laughs> Yeah, there's none of that, and and that makes all all of this the, the, the most impressive. I mean, part of what's also impressive is that um, he's working in a time period where, like, you, you don't even have test lighting. Like, from what I can tell, actually, in his, um, his self-portrait – where is it? I just lost it. It doesn't look like those flashes – I don't know if they had modeling lights. They might have had some modeling lights because you probably have to have some kind of way to see where to point the light. But still, I mean – uh, even a modeling light, and a modeling light uh, for those people who don't really know what that is. When you have a when you have a strobe light, uh, especially a studio strobe light, uh, usually have a um, a tungsten bulb in it, like a halogen bulb, burning all the time, so that you can see where the light, um, mm-hmm. the head of the light is pointed, and you can sort of model where the light is. Um, and it sort of mimics the flash, but it's a steady, uh, constant source. Um, and if you don't have that, it's kind of hard to position the lights. And I'm, I'm actually looking at his larger lights, and it looks like there's a there's a place in the center for perhaps a bulb so that at least he can see what direction
1: he's point pointing in. But, in yeah.
2: but you lose some, you know, when when you're lighting things at a distance, that's got to be very hard because the light inverse square law and all that stuff, the light falls off and, and diminishes over time. I mean, you know, I'm looking at that, especially that shot, that shot with the river for some reason to me is probably one, I want to say one of the more insane shots, but it is it's pretty more impressive. It is insane. But like, if you look at it deeply, you can see there's light sources in many directions. There's at least four that I can count, uh, maybe five. And and uh, And like you said, knowing that time, when the train's gonna pass, it's already dark. Um, those kids are splashing in the water for who knows how long, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Although I guess you could hear the train coming. You could say, "Okay, run in the run. water." And start yeah, no. yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Like, yes, yeah, so I can. You kind of know when the thing is coming cause you kind of do because not- they
1: have to whistle at every at, at every level crossing. So
0: a, a train of that size, you can actually hear it whistle quite yeah. a few times. So those kids are not splashing in the water for an hour. It's, it's, yeah, well, they're probably like, in their bathing costume for. so they,
2: they're in the yeah. bathing costumes, and I didn't say what time of year it was shot. It in, but say I'm assuming no, it's
1: 1956,
0: but that doesn't really tell you but, whether it's December or June, right? But it's a river, and rivers notoriously are cold. So, but yeah, kids. Don't.
2: Anyway, I, I'm the stories that you can put behind these, just the making of the pictures, not just the picture Actually, itself. There's a,
0: okay, so I'm glad you said
1: story there, right? So the the, the shot that always captures me is. Uh, it's the one um, hotshot eastbound at the at the Liager drive-in. So this is a shot of a drive-in cinema, oh, right. which is very 1950s, right? There's a warplane, happens to be currently on screen on the cinema. I don't think you had any control of that. And in the foreground, there's a couple in their car. And then right next to the cinema, cinema, you know, car park slash cinema. <laughs> it's, a drive-thru is a very strange thing. Is it a car park? Is it a cinema? But right next to it runs the railway line and this train is lit up like a Christmas tree with its smokestack and everything, um, and the couple are in the car. Well, one of the people interviewed in the documentary are that couple, who are still together, by the way. Oh, really? <laughs> um, and what they said was that he had, he had asked them for volunteers, he basically he'd gone looking for volunteers for that photograph, and they said that actually the local tradition is that the curfew to be home was, you had to be home by the time the train went by. So they had to have special permission from their parents to be out after curfew.
2: <laughs> wow. So I'm looking at, well, as I'm looking at the picture, that is a drive-in theater, by the way, because drive-in theaters had to have those, um, stands where the, took the microphones and, and, uh, or yes. so the speakers and you stuck in your car. So, uh, um, my guess it wouldn't be at just a, um, a random car park because you, those things had to be wired through the sure, ground sure. and whatnot. Yeah. So I think that's a permanent setting. It's, I find it strange that someone said, Hey, let's put a, you know, um, a movie theater uh a a drive-in right
0: next to the train line so that i imagine it was cheap though right the cheapest land i I imagine the land was cheap
2: yes true (laughs) and you figure the train is only going to come through once in a while so yeah you know i think people were probably okay well we can live with that i guess what people lived with you know compared to what we're used to today is a lot different but uh that you know again the 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 um the sources of light in that picture, the amount of places where he needed to make sure there was light falling on the subject, which is the train, also the people, the cars in the foreground. And it's just this myriad of cars, 57, 56 cars uh, um, that are just beautiful. Um, but making sure like the, 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 the shadows are filled in, but it doesn't look like it's overlit. You know, yeah, He's that's, also
1: thrown a lot of light into the sky to get that massive smoke cloud.
2: Yes. Yeah, that I'm 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 very impressed with. And actually I can see a couple of the lights in the shop. Actually I see three of them uh oh. right straight ahead in the shop. But they're so Oh yes, there like, they are. They're yeah, there's two where you can see the back of them and there's one facing the camera, which is not as intense, but it's creating it's creating a uh, pin light source. And then there's another one towards the front of the train, uh near um oh, there, yes. I guess one of the telephone poles. Uh, but that's four lights right there in the shot. Um, and there's probably another three or four lighting the, the, uh, the car, the, um, there has the be
1: drive to them on our, on our left, the left of us, uh, as the eye of the camera, because there's light coming in on the side of the couple in the car and on the side of the cars and, you know, between the couple and the screen. So there yeah, must be another yeah. row of lights, probably matching that row of four lights on the train.
2: So knowing that he's a technical photographer, I, I, I when I was looking through his, his his biography and I resonated a little bit again with this a because we're New Yorkers, um, <laughs> but New York photographer like him and also like me, I went to uh, I went to a, a school for photography specifically to learn almost like this kind of photography, not railway photography, but this kind of technical, like how to do things like this on a smaller scale, of course. Yeah. Uh, and so you know when i when I see his work, I think like the, and then he was he was uh, uh educated as an uh, an engineer as well in um in school in new york, and like that combination of like taking photography as a technical skill and uh this love obviously he had of trains in and engineering and in general and probably just the mechanics of photography like how do I capture these giant How do you capture, this is the thing we have, this is the problem we have with photography, I think. How do you capture these giant things, like a, like, like a train going by a, by a, uh, um, uh, drive-in movie? How do you capture that in one shot, you know? And, and, and he does it marvelous, marvelous, marvelously. (laughs) I can't talk this early in the morning, but, uh, and and he's doing it at night, too. That's the other thing. Yeah. Um. But I, I, I guess I resonated with the uh, sort of the technical aspects of it, and I, and I can appreciate that. I also want to remind the listeners, too, that he's presenting these as, as these are gelatin prints. So whereas today, digitally, you know, if if you're trying to capture a picture and you need to change tones, you capture a picture and then you go into Photoshop or Lightroom or whatever you're going to do to to tweak the tones. And I'm, I'm reasonably sure that, that um, he must have had to do some darkroom work. In so order dodging to dodging and
1: burning, basically to dodging get and burning. Balanced. Yeah,
2: because because he's working with like massive amounts of lights, and he can't be subtle with those things. Those things are just firing off. You know, Um, you know, if he took out a couple, of, I bet he could change exposure. I didn't even think about this, but I bet he could change exposure by removing a, a certain amount of bulbs from the flash head. Right? So That's he true, had,
0: actually. Yeah, that would tone it down a bit. Ten,
2: yeah, so if he knew that this area in the back needed to be X amount of stops darker, he might take, you know, let's say he had 10 bulbs in the flash head, he might take three of them out or four of them out to reduce the amount of light that was being output on that. Today, we just dial it in. If you're using a strobe, you just dial in how many stops each head is going to do. But back then, you remove bulbs. But then, like, yeah, it's like, take out out three bulbs, he would say. But, But, um, and then he would take the the you know he's working with a four by five. I don't know if he's doing eight by ten. I don't actually know what size camera. But he's certainly doing at least uh, four by five, maybe five by seven. I know there's five by seven cameras. So you have a big negative, so you have a lot of information to work with. And then and then when you're printing, you know he can he can dodge and burn specific areas to you know like highlight the in this shot with the uh, drive-in and the smoke coming out of the uh, the um, uh, uh, locomotive mm-hmm. he can really adjust in the dark room how that smoke is lit as yeah. well you know yeah. sorry that's a lot of talking
1: no this, no but, but. That, that, i think it's i think the fact that he was a commercial photographer for many years as his profession is what set him up to be able to take these kind of shots right because he's taking during the day he's honing his skills on taking pictures of pots of Jarm or whatever it is his clients needed him to take a picture of right could be anything as a as a commercial photographer and so he's all of those skills are being honed day in and day out. And then at night, he's going out and applying that skill to his passion. So I would say he's a professional photographer by day and an amateur by night, as in, you know, amateur <laughs> from the root of the word, you know, amor or love, right? The word amateur love comes, something it, yeah. you do for love. Yeah. And it's um, the, so the railroad, the management were in favor of his work. They encouraged it, but they did not. They didn't give him money and they didn't rearrange things. They were just like, ah, yeah, cool, great. You know, share the pictures with us or whatever. So they were happy to have him do it, but they weren't, they didn't hire him to do it. They didn't pay him to do it and they didn't rejigger their schedules or anything. It was a working railway, and they were like, yeah, sure, okay, Mr. Weirdo,
2: sure, come in and take your pictures. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I wonder if that just, I mean, you know, he's dealing with an industrial complex, and they're not very concerned with artistic, you know, um, aspects of of work, but, you know, as long as he's not, like, you know, a lunatic and jumping in front of the train or, or ruining anything, like, I can imagine them saying, sure, yeah, I mean, that was the sort of the attitude of a lot of things um uh pre nine eleven where you could just, you know, you do could it. go to a lot of places and and, and do things like that. And especially in the fifties, you know, people were like, Well, wow, you know, and they're not thinking, you know, evil be before McCarthy ruined all of that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, so I I I can imagine yeah, you're not messing with us. Sure, you know we get to maybe get some of your pictures and hang them up on the walls or use them in our magazines. Sure, I mean people still think about that these days today. You know, yeah. What can we What can we get from photographers as long as they're not you know um, making things a a pain for us? We can we can uh, use them. So anyway, I it's interesting that 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 happened, but it mm. wouldn't happen today. I don't think
1: <laughs> it'd be more difficult today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, I guess, just to, to hammer home the sort of the point that he was taking pictures of the railroad as way more than the trains. I think one of the shots I definitely draw attention to is one of the ones from 1955, so one of his early ones, uh, Norfolk and Western Train Number Two, and it's it's three elderly people on a porch, and the train is almost not visible. Right, they're they're sitting on their porch having a nice chat in what I hope was a warm, balmy summer evening. Uh, and this giant locomotive is sort of peeping through the the shrubbery uh, around their um, around their little. Is, is
2: that a
0: that's a porch, not a gazebo? Yeah, um, it's a
2: porch. It's a, yeah, it's definitely a porch. Yeah, and it was shot in July. So in July in in uh, in Virginia, I have to imagine should be it nice. Little, actually, yeah, <laughs> it could be a little hot, <laughs> a little a little humid too. But it's um, interesting in that shot is that the people are very much the focus and the train. Is there? It is in is in their front yard and perhaps or their back. Well, I guess it's a porch. So it might in even front be across yard. the
1: street. I mean, I, it's 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 out of focus, so I, there might be quite a bit of compression in that shot.
2: Yeah, but it's still pretty. It's closer than you know. Oh um, yeah, I mean, it ain't far away. Yeah, <laughs> it ain't far away. And what's interesting is the the people's reaction is it <laughs> is none. They're reacting to themselves, and it's almost as if to say, "Hey, you know, you can live." With a train, you know, not, you know, 40 feet away from your house and it can still be beautiful and it can still be you can still have an enjoyable night out. And in some part of it looks a little like if I if I go to the one extreme, it looks a little propaganda, you know, <laughs> but it also reflects the photographer's love of this. I think people who would who would live near a train would continue living near a train would have to have some sort of at least at this time period, uh, some sort of, you know, not minding, I should say. At the very least, of, tolerance, yeah. Tolerance of it, maybe even appreciate. These people in the picture are are um, of age. Uh, the gentleman in the middle also looks pretty old, and and I wonder if he has that sort of sharing of generations, like you you when you know the generations can kind of appreciate this, right? Like you know, there was a time when we didn't have a train, and know, then right? we do. You know, yeah. there was a time that was only horse and buggies, and now we have this train, and I can appreciate it, and so living. 50 feet away from it does not bother me because I like this thing. And that's the, there's, a, there's a lot going on in this picture that you could read into.
1: Well, there's, there's another little bit going on as well, right? Because these, a steam railway takes a lot of human beings to work, a lot of human beings to work. and So the chances are a town like this would be a railway town. So like you'd have a coal yeah. town, you would have railway towns. And so right. the chances are that the kids or the grandkids of those people, at least one of them must work in the railway. Right? Right, So they probably have a much fonder feeling of it. And then the other thing is if you don't work for the railway in a town like this, the chances are very high that wherever you do work is heavily dependent on the railway either for bringing in raw material and or shipping out your produce, whatever it is you make. Right, If you're the local baker, you'll bring in your flour and you'll sell your bread locally, but you're still going to be reliant on the railway on the way in. And if you manufacture steel, you're going to be reliant on the railway to get the stuff out.
2: Yeah. And also... You know, it just occurred to me that, that the trains could be a source of entertainment for these people. Like, they knew when the train was coming. And believe me, like, if I knew that this style of train, I mean, they're just beautiful when you look at these things, um, were coming by, I would want to see it as well. And so maybe, like, even at, like, seven, this is the 735, right? We all know that this comes by every night. And people go on the porch and watch the train go by.
1: Yeah, and this was the, this was the, the Roanoke Railway it was quite a small, well, okay. It was not one of the gigantic, big, cross the whole country railways. It was, it was locally owned. You know, I guess by our standards, it was quite big because America's just a big country. But it's it's not one of your big, it's it's not your, um, oh, those, what are those giant Pacific? Uh, ah, anyway, the, the giant. The bigger big railroads one. like yeah, the, Pacific Union. Yeah, yeah Pacific Union, yeah. all of those guys. Exactly. The giant yeah, yeah. big ones you see out in, in California and stuff these days.
0: This was a much smaller. Oh, uni, Union Pacific. Excuse Union me, Pacific. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Which, by the way, by the way, I think it's Union Pacific. The, um, uh, one of the gentlemen, I'm going to get. I hope I get this right, but one of the gentlemen who is involved in it is buried in Greenwood Cemetery, ah. uh, not far away from me. Thomas Thomas Durant. Durant, that, actually, that name actually sounds familiar.
1: Yeah, ah. it, uh, there's a lot of railway history has got in one ear and most of it's fallen out again. But some yeah, I mean, around in there. you know,
2: maybe maybe some of your listeners who into it can, can correct. But it, Thomas Durant was uh, um, actually I learned about him from this television show called Hell on Wheels when they were building. Um, it was a uh, AMC show and uh, it was all about sort of the fictionalized story of building the railroad uh, after the Civil War and uh, Thomas Durant was played by the guy who played Miles O'Brien on Star Trek The Next Generation Oh, a great Irish uh, and
1: actor a, um, and now yeah, you've said Miles O'Brien my brain Colm, keeps going Colm, Miles like uh, Colomini yeah.
2: and uh, anyway his storyline was in that and, and sorry I, 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 I digress a little bit but We have railroad history not that far away. There was an open uh, – the cemetery had an open um, tomb tour and they had uh, actors playing the people who were in the tombs. And I walked by and I was like, this one says says Durant on it. I was like, what is it? I went inside and there was a plaque talking about um, Thomas Durant. Anyway, sorry.
1: (laughs) I mean that – but that kind of gives you, right? So there is a real sense of – those communities were involved with those trains more than we would be today. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't just a thing they went by. And also, they, they, they engineered things a little different. So the obvious complement to this shot has to be the one called Main Line on Main Street, which is just, a, it's 1956 as well. It gives you some sort of idea of how people thought differently about infrastructure because this is a two-line railway running up the middle of Main Street of some town. Well, specifically, does it say, uh, actually, it doesn't say the name of the town. It's somewhere in Norfolk, West Virginia, but it doesn't actually say the name of the town. Um but it's, it's on the
2: street. <laughs> yes. It's the.
1: Like a tram. <laughs> you look out your it's window. Giant.
2: Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's again similar to like where I live in New York and we have elevated trains and we have people, we have apartments that are now like that overlook it. I think it's a matter of um, like, this is how it has to be. You know, we have to have a train someplace. And so it has to go through here. In this case, it, 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 it's going through the middle of town. Now, what came first, the railway or the, or the town? Did the town build around the railway, or did the railway have yeah. to come through the town?
1: Uh, both are equally possible, right? Because if towns would have been vying to get the railway, and railways make towns, so it, it genuinely could be either way around.
2: And actually, yeah. I think I mean, uh,
1: that the high line would have been a freight line originally, wouldn't it? So it would have had giant, big locomotives plowing through it.
2: In New York, yeah. the high line, yeah, uh, which is now a park, by the way. So if you're ever coming Great to visit? Use, yeah, it's incredible. Use, but I remember seeing, I remember seeing it when it was a rail line because they would feed directly into the. Um, uh, the, the, the factories and meat markets that were on the West side. So there was, it was there and it was really just industrial and stuff like that. But we on in, sorry to, to bring this to New York again, but on 11th Avenue in New York City, there was a, um, uh, and you can see pictures of this, uh, if, uh, if you go through the uh, Library of Congress website, um, maybe I could find a shot, but anyway, uh, rail lines that would go on 11th Avenue. And 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 very like when I'm looking at this picture, I was like, "This looks like 11th Avenue, where uh, a heavy um, uh, uh, locomotive with freight being pulled through the street uh, on 11th Avenue." And in that case, there was a, a person on a horse ahead of the railway, um, warning people of. The, train the impending train, which I don't understand, because what's bigger, the, the person on a horse or a railway? Like, how can you not see the railway? But it's an interesting shot. This reminds me of that. Like, um, so I, I think of a shot like this. Again, going back to the photography part. The the amount of light and structure, like knowing this, he probably had a little bit more time to set this one up, and 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 um. I
0: got some you know, free lighting from the streetlights as well. Street, yeah, streetlights would light the shot. Uh,
2: you know, um, and and it's the framing is sort of just built into this. You know, the way the perspective of the street goes down and echoes the the direction of the train. So it's got a lot of energy coming from left to right. Um, but it's a very effective picture. You know, it's a very effective. Like this is life in uh uh the railway you know this is life with railway we live next to it this is important you know yeah um, um go ahead sorry
1: i was going to say the, the next picture i absolutely absolutely want to draw attention to because it just there's something so 1950s about it is the one called midnight special from 1957
2: and i'm glad you brought this one up but oh, go
0: good. ahead I
1: so i mean it's it's extremely noir right it is black there is so much black in this shot it's it's you're looking Along the side of a locomotive as it's approaching a small rural station called Rural Retreat, which is quite a nice name, (laughs) um, you you have massive leading lines because there's a signalman signalling the train, I presume, to stop. He's he's standing silhouetted with quite a nice fedora hat on, uh, with a light pointing straight at the train and the camera. And so it's almost all black. You have the lines of the track. You have the edge of the train. And then you have the station with one side of it lit up very brightly so you can read Rural Retreat." But it's, there's so much black in this shot. And then you have this silhouette of the guy with, with his fedora signaling this massive train to do something. It was a very powerful shot to me.
2: The, um, when, you, when you sent me the link to the shot and I looked at it, the first thing that popped into my mind was this uh, 1964 movie by, I want to say, uh, John Frankenheimer called The Train. Have you seen that movie? I have not. I am. I, oh, here is me strangling I, you in the I, sky not camera. I'm very good at old
1: cinema. I've only recently gotten no. around to Doctor Strange, so or Doctor okay, Strange. No. Films.
2: you, you, you must see this film. Okay. okay. Uh, the quick, the quick story is, uh, it's with Burt Lancaster. It takes place in the end of World War Two. Um, the The Nazis are are retreating out of uh, France, and they decide to steal all the art. Um, oh, and this all, time, all the... happened for
0: real, yeah.
2: And they and they packed it on a train, and the whole story is about um, uh, the resistance trying to stop this train. Oh, and uh, s- some of it takes place at night. And when I saw this picture, the midnight special, uh, especially because of the style of it, it it reminded me of this movie. There are shots at night. There, uh, there it takes place. The whole movie takes place around this train going from from uh, Paris to Germany. A lot of it is taking place at night. And there is a lot of these lit scenes with this giant train line with you know freight cars and and soldiers all over it and Bert Lancaster of course looking Dashing. Bert Lancastery yeah <laughs> um, and and this scene reminds me of a uh, uh, reminds me of a certain scene I'll let you watch the movie. To see if you can see the scene that I'm thinking about, but the the I won't give away the story about it because it's really it's kind of no, cool. it's fantastic! It, it, I should definitely go and watch that. It's all you should see it. It's a it's a great movie, and you can need to forgive the fact that everybody's speaking English. You know, it's a it's an American movie, although I think they filmed it uh, in in um, I believe they filmed it someplace in Europe, so the it, it has an authentic feel to it.
1: Even if it's only you know, English, La- Look, if, if yeah, uh, Burt uh, can play a Russian submarine captain, it's all good.
2: I know, you know, Bert Lancaster's is playing a French resistance, but once you lose that, it. But, but again, it's all centered around the train and the photography. Actually, knowing that the movie is 1964, but this image is 1957, makes me wonder if there's any kind of um,
0: uh, influence that that. Wow, uh, well, that's um, interesting that you Link, say that because Link's pictures had on Frankenheimer. Well, they couldn't you know, because have because Link's work was basically not. Discovered until decades later, they basically ah, sat
2: walked them
1: away safely, and they I s- wonder they sat until I think it was the eighties or the nineties until they became actually it must be the eighties.
2: Interesting, yeah. Okay, so that is a very co- coincidental thing. But if anybody's listening to this episode, look at this picture, and if you've seen the film, you probably understand the. I mean, if it doesn't reminisce to that film, I mean, you know, um, it does to me. I, I looked at this picture, and I was like. I, the you know without if they if the rural retreat was taken off of the side of the building so that the english wasn't there you know i would i would absolutely say that this is this is for uh, like a still from that movie wow but uh, it it it's it it the amount of light this is there's very few lights in this picture there's probably two or three yeah. um you know one's lighting the side of the uh uh you can actually see where the light source is coming from behind the building lighting the uh the uh locomotive and uh creating a shadow with the guy the guy's holding a light there's a light inside the building and then there's a light lighting the side of the building but he's very much into grabbing the shadows and giving that that um there's there's a there's an ominous sense to it i guess it depends on how you're looking at it well it's an ominous sense.
1: The train it. is going into the night right this is right really leaning into the nighttime nature of these shots
2: yeah but anyway, I, I'm so glad you pulled this shot up because it really made me think of – of uh, and I love when that happens, when you get this sort of um, crossover between different disciplines, although it's film and whatnot, but but over a sense of time too. And now that you're saying that there was probably no way that that uh, Frankenheimer could have seen this picture most likely, um, that makes it even more interesting that how people are, are thinking. And in, in, in a sense – I guess what I'm saying in this sense, to me, it's – when you say noir, of course you're thinking – automatically film there's a yeah there's a cinematic you know if you just cropped this into like a you know <laughs> two three five to one you could just put your hands over it like i'm doing now and it, actually it really works if you do crop it crop out the bottom and the top yeah. it it becomes a cinematic shot
1: yeah it, it to me it just it's, it just screams film noir to me especially with the guy with the fedora right that's just such a right you know, I don't know. I mean, he's tiny in the frame, but he's still very dominant because there's so much black in the frame. The, the fact that the well, guy's tiny. You,
2: it does give you that sense of scale, too. I mean... Yeah, yes,
1: yes. That's Maybe that's one of the reasons the shot really appeals to me as well, because he's right next to it. So you can tell that this is that these locomotives are not
0: dinky toys. These things are right. <laughs> serious beasts. Serious. Right, right. It's all in this one shot. Oh, this is such a great picture. Yeah. So let me ask
2: you this. Mm-hmm. Um, what What... What is it about this uh, photographer that um, I don't know if you're trying to you want to emulate? Is it like there's something you want to do? What is what is it about him? What is it? What's what is he tickling in you?
1: His it's not what tickles me is that his his motivation and his his aim is very much in keeping with how I think about things. So Mm -hmm. I want to capture the feeling of the railway in Ireland. Right. I'm not interested in this particular train's nuances. It's the railway in Ireland. So for me, my local railway is very much historically and physically linked to our local canal. The the, the two were actually run by the one company for a while. Mm-hmm. And so that's why a lot of my shots will feature the canal and the train interacting with each other. Um, and so it's I want to tell the story of the Irish railway here now. And so that a 100 years from now, when someone looks at my photographs, I want them to feel what this railway was like now. And his goal was clearly the same. I mean, his methodology is 110% different to mine, but his uh-huh. aim is to capture the feel of the railway. And I, I mean, I'm, I, I fail miserably by comparison to, to what he's doing,
0: but his aim is so in keeping with my aspirations.
2: Well, I wouldn't say you fail mis- like, don't I wouldn't say that. Right, you guys are
0: a separated by a, a long
2: sense of time, you're working with different equipment. You know, he's doing what he can with what he
0: has in the time given. You know, his is all at night, and he's also you know, a professional photographer, as I'm an it guy.
2: So, well, yeah, but you're you know, you, you can say amateur. You know, the difference between amateur and, and professional is just that one is getting paid, it doesn't mean that one's better than the other. You know, no, it I- does mean. What makes him special
1: is that he's an amateur when he's doing the railway stuff, but he takes with him to his amateur work all of the skills he spent the day
2: building up. Right. Which is what we should all be doing all the time. I mean, you should take for even to the thing that you love to do. You should take the skills that you can, you know, all the time. I, I, you know, like what I'm trying to get to is like to not put you on a on a different level, because once we start. Changing the levels, like we start looking at this photographer is better than me, or he's doing something better. like that. I want to sort of steer you away from doing
0: that. well.
1: I, I mean, I basically what I'm trying to say is that at a technical level, he, he is tech, his technique is way more advanced than any technique I use, but that's that sort of doesn't right again.
2: Again, I, 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 this is my, my goal, and I like to do this in my podcast too, is like to, um. You know, photography is very much uh, – yes, it's a skill. We have to learn. I think we keep learning it. I don't think you oh, ever yeah. stop and say, I know everything in photography. But what I what I say to students all the time is like they always look at um, – I, I, and I'm sorry to I diverge again a little bit. But you, you you opened up this little can here by what you said. You know, I, I show students like uh, Brisson's work and Avidon's work and stuff like that. and And I can see in their eyes like I'll never get to this. I'll never get to that. It's like, no, don't look at it that way. It's like you're on the road to this. You will get to the level that you want to get to. But um, don't automatically think that this photographer is better than you. You, Bart, your photography, you're working with the, the, what you're interested in, the gear that you have. The subject matter is so specific for you and it's important. He's working, you know, in a, he's just working in a different level at a different time period, but like, I really enjoy your work and I'm not even a railroad person. Although I, you know, it's not my thing, Mm -hmm. but you've crossed, you can cross over like he's doing. Okay. So in the sense, like I'm looking at his pictures and I'm interested in his work. I look at your pictures and I'm interested in your work. It doesn't have to just appeal to people who love railroads, right? You cross over those boundaries, right? And once you do that, I think you've achieved something. So, Anyway, this is my way of saying, you know, you don't fail miserably compared to him. There's not, there's no failure. There's not a success-failure scale here. There's, um, uh, I don't even know what to put it on yet. But anyway, I just want to no, okay. well, remind I really appreciate you because that.
1: I don't think anyone's ever said as nice a thing as the fact that someone who's not interested in railroads enjoys my photos. Because that is kind of the highest thing I could have hoped for. There you go. So, 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 and I don't. So look I, at
2: it in that level, right? I,
1: Irish people don't take compliments well, so I'm blushing terribly <laughs> here, but thank you.
2: Okay, you're welcome. That was, I think, the whole point of this is to 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 uh, you. You're interested in this in in this photographer's work. I'm guessing that after this show comes out, there'll be more people who are interested in his work, so. and thus will become more interested in perhaps the kind of work you're doing, and then crossing over. Like we're not like. You know, every since like, what kind of photography do you like? What kind of music do you like? Right? Someone says that to me. You like a list? And I'm like, I can't answer that. Like, you like rock music? Like, I go, I like the music that I like. You know, same thing with this. With this kind of photography, it's like, what do you like? It's the photography that I like. You know, it's not railroad photography. It's not street photography. It's photography what appeals to me. So, um, I'm really glad that you brought his work. That you're, that you're bringing his work to everybody's attention because it crosses boundaries. Right. And that's what photography I think is to be about. This is my lecturing kind of thing now, but right. <laughs> you know, we're here to, to, to open up. There's so many different kinds of photography, you know, people take pictures of the botanical gardens of leaves, right. Cause they're doing it for cataloging, but that, that can cross the boundary from technical to artistic. And, and, and in this case, you know, maybe he didn't think of himself as an artist, right. Link th- thought of himself. I mean, how can you not? But like, maybe he didn't think about that. He's thinking like, I'm doing this. I got to get this stuff, and crossing boundaries, crossing over from technical to art to art, is what I'm seeing in his work. You know, and yeah. what's probably going to be appealing to so many people now that they're going to discover him through this through this show.
1: Well, I certainly hope so because it's the fact that he humanizes a topic which is very prone to what we would call, you know, the anorak, the 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 the, the uber nerd, right? Yeah, <laughs> It's the kind of thing that can become very, very pigeonholed. But his right, his right. photos are not because... Uh, so the reason he's, Link's work is right top of my mind at the moment is because my Christmas present from Mum was one of his books. Um, so I have a coffee table hardback book with his work in giant, big, shiny pages that I can physically hold in my hand. So I've been paging through it and thoroughly enjoying it in, in, in the physical form. I mean, the reason I got it was because I knew of his work and I said to him, I'd love an actual book of this guy's work because I think it'd be amazing in the flesh. And I was right. It really is amazing. But no one who sees that coffee table book, which is granted not very many people in 2020, but, but anyway, um, <laughs> people like my mum, who, who is absolutely positively not interested in railways at all. She has no interest at all. She admitted to me that she paid, she read through the entire book before wrapping it. She couldn't not. Really? She, she ordered it on Amazon. It had to come secondhand because this bloody thing is out of print. It's really hard to get. Like, I mean, that's why I'm really impressed with mum that she managed to get one because I've been trying for a year and a half and I had not succeeded, but she used to work in a bookshop. So I guess she knows the book industry, but anyway, she got Ah, one mm -hmm, secondhand and she said, I'm not interested in trains, but I couldn't put this down. She paged through the entire book herself and dad sat on the couch paging through the book. (laughs) And as soon as it came into the house, my my darling beloved has no interest in trains at all. Wouldn't, no zero. zero. Does it get me into Dublin Connolly? At what time does it get me into Dublin Connolly? That is the total (laughs) sum of, of interest. But again, as soon as that book came in, it just catches you because of it's so human and I think because with a really, really strong because it's at night the blacks are inky black the highlights are very sharp. It's it's very much look at me, look at me, photography. Which, right, right. when you think that it's by a New Yorker, you're kind of going, yeah, I, I see that, I see that. Right? <laughs> it's it's very much shouts, look at me, look at me. But everyone looks at that book. That that mm-hmm. book doesn't. It's not train people go, oh, that's interesting. It's human beings look at Link's work and go, oh, that's cool. Oh, and it's about trains.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's again, we're saying that this this idea of crossing over. I think the uh, did he have anything to do with the making of this book? Do You know, because I see that it was. Uh, published in 98
1: and he died in uh, two, 2000 so th- this book is like a a retelling of the story that he was more involved with earlier uh, so I mean the, the, I think there's three books that have his work about that same railway and this is sort of like the, the sort of the third pass of telling the story
2: I guess what I'm asking is that like did he when he was shooting did he plan to make books or he nope. was just making so so that's interesting he, like what was the uh what was his, um, I don't know how to describe this, This his uh, desire to, sh- like, how would he share this work? Well, he didn't. Was he going to make, he didn't. Well, he made prints, right? Because it's the only way that you can see the images. Yes,
1: but he put them away in a vault to keep them safe. His yeah. goal was to preserve for posterity. And he did, like I say, it was decades after the photographs were
2: taken that they were discovered yeah that's interesting so you never really plan for books and so it's interesting how someone figured out like how big should this book be i mean obviously the book has to be big you can't make a book four by five
0: (laughs) yeah this would not work yeah i mean
2: this would you know as i say right it's
1: it's it's yeah it's about the
2: size of your chest there it's huge yeah
1: it's a good proper coffee table book
2: yeah but it's interesting like did he make you know, 16 by 12. You probably didn't make 16 uh, by 20 well, prints.
1: You can read the size of the prints actually. So the, the prints are 13 by 13 inches in the case of the one I happen to have open right now.
2: Like the, oh, yeah. Yeah. There's some, yeah. On, on on some of the links, uh, 10, 10 by 13. So 11 by 14, by 80, roughly
1: 15 by 20. I mean, yeah. they're all strange sizes though. I guess they're all cropped of
2: course. I guess, I guess also that's a, that's, um, you know, uh, it was not very easy to make very large prints in the past. You'd had to, if you were going to make anything beyond, maybe eleven by fourteen or larger, you had to start altering like where your enlarger was, uh, yeah. and like you had to bigger trays. I mean, there was it was a there was a practicality to 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 making large prints. In fact, I don't know if these were some of these, if he was shooting eight by ten, you would he would have done contact prints. Um I don't know. You know, it's a that's a that would be an interesting, interesting. thing to find yeah. out. But that's interesting because we're sort of interpreting his work into a book if uh, we're, we're making them larger than they intended to be. Did he like that? Did he want that? You know, I mean, you said he, he put all of his stuff away in a vault. By the way, everybody, don't stick your stuff into a vault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, show, share your pictures. But uh, with easier you know, anyway.
1: easier to do now, right? In his day, there was no, there was, there was no
2: Twitter to go post them on. Right. And, you know, he's also, he he's sticking to like, you know, this is this idea of sticking to one subject and doing it, as best you can, you know. And so his his idea of doing railroads at night, I mean, that's so very specific. And like, what is your audience when you have that? But but again, he's not worried about an audience, just like yeah. like he's doing it for like fun. We're Yeah, we're we're kind of different today in in a sense that, you know, we can't not be influenced by this sharing and social media and whatnot. And and he's not living in that time period. He's saying, This is what I'm gonna do uh this is specifically what i'm going to do and i'm going to do it to the best that i can and yet he does put it away into a vault so he's not sharing it but but uh you know there's something to that to that idea of like really focusing on one subject and 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 working it as as long as you can and not worrying about what you know sort of the outside world is going to say uh to
0: you about your stuff so it's, it's anyway it's a real
1: passion project for him and it really was he was doing it for him rather than
0: for an audience that he imagined yeah
2: yeah I, again, I was looking at the remembering that shot of the three people on the porch uh, with the train in the background and made me think at that time, like, you know, it's as if you could take a very teeny tiny camera and get it right down into the set of a large train <laughs> panor- you know, uh, diorama and see like, can you see every little bit of information in it? Like, that's what he's doing. It's like he's taking this giant uh, diorama of the railroad, and he's getting us into the little bits and pieces that, that, uh, like we might just see from afar, you know, you just see the railroad and, and all the things, but he goes, like, there's there's a lot more detail, there's a lot more interest at the, uh, macro level, you know.
1: Well, the, the fact that he's effective
2: I mean, think, diorama, me,
1: yeah. I think, is a great description of it because effectively, right, these, these are not, this is not Cartier Brisson shoot from the hip. He has found people, positioned them spent hours probably getting his lights right. So it is actually much more like a diorama. The only thing he can't control is the train. So everything apart from the train, he has controlled as best he can. And then he's at the mercy of the train for the final piece, which is kind of an interesting mix. But it is very much the diorama idea, right? He is posing figures. He yeah, yeah. went and found a couple to sit in the car to be in the drive through So it's not accidental. It's, he's not walking around the street shooting from the hip. It's and- very planned.
2: Yeah and to to uh I'm looking at the shot of the uh the drive in again and realizing it's on the Museum of Modern Art's website um and uh just as a like obviously they see him as part of the history of photography like there's some he's not just some guy who took pictures of trains that he is fitting in a specific spot in the history of the recent history of photography. I mean, he's been the past, you know, uh, you know, sixty or seventy years uh doing photography so that his work seems to be recognized on, on the bigger scale of uh photography in general. Um I,
0: what do I you think, think about that?
1: Well I y I, you're right. I, I, I think it is recognized and I think it's because his style is so distinctive. It, there were lots of people taking pictures of trains, but there's only one oh Winston Link. Like it's something I will see in a railway photography forum. People will say, "Oh, that's Link esque," or uh-huh. "There's there's something very Link about that." And you can just say that within the railway community.
2: Yeah. And well, the, the, so he, I, I yeah. guess I guess your goal today, our goal today, is that, that it expands beyond just the railroad community.
1: Yeah. Which obviously, the fact that it's in MoMA means that that I, th- I think the reason he's so well known within the railway community is because his work is so different right it it has a a feel to it that is distinct and if you any photographer whatever your subject is if you get to the stage where you have a look that's instantly recognizable i think you will end up in places like moma because you're obviously a great photographer who happens to shoot x
2: right 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 and it's it's funny i wonder what he would have i mean i mean his stuff was probably put in moma while he was still alive and um, really curious to to know what he thought about that. Like what you know, these pictures that he uh, thought nobody would see are now in a premier art museum. Yeah, would part of would you have would he have shown up
1: to the opening or whatever if they had a, an,
2: an exhibition? I'm sure he um, would have. <laughs> Guy's from New York, right? How could he not? <laughs>
1: I, I would imagine so too. It's and that's yeah. to say from 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 watching the the documentary, he's very straight down the middle. He's he's very. He, He's neither self-aggrandizing nor self-deprecating.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He's, he's, he's very what you see is what you get. Actually, very. I wasn't sure what to expect from his character, but given the very distinctly rural nature, the accent certainly wasn't what my brain was thought I was going to hear when I play at the
0: documentary. <laughs> well,
2: it's uh, it's very exciting. I'm going I would like to figure out. Um uh since I'm in Brooklyn where he was actually like uh you know born or like where he lived and stuff like that. So maybe uh, if you find out any more ma- information or if I do I'll I'll share it. But uh, be really curious like to, oh he's like he's like over there I'm pointing I'm pointing over there to like it, it, most likely he's in this direction. I'm the you're you're looking at me on camera. I'm pointing uh southeast uh east? Southeast, right? So southeast from where I live. There's a good chance he's in that direction. Uh <laughs> He's from Brooklyn, so that's kind of cool. But, yeah, um, and that's a pure but, accident
1: because I hadn't actually realized when I asked you to be the the, the guest, you know, the, the guest interviewer that that you guys were actually from the same neck of the woods, which is a wonderful. I love how the university
2: Well, I don't have sometimes. a Brooklyn accent. You know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not from Brooklyn. I mean, you know, if you know New York, New York has five boroughs, and each of the boroughs. Is it's kind of its own country, and it's got its own dialect and 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 uh, um, accents and stuff like that. And uh, so I, I'll I'll watch a little bit of the uh, the the documentary. I want to hear his accent and see if I can sort of pinpoint it. But uh, yeah, you know, he's, if he's from Brooklyn, he's probably got a Brooklyn accent. So, I mean, it's not from, a
1: massively strong accent, but it's there, right?
2: Yeah, you can't get you can't quite get rid of it. You can't quite. No, you, know. you do get
1: rid of your accent. I mean. It's okay, but... <laughs> I, I sound oh. like I am from rural Ireland, no matter where, no matter where and when I go. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it does get a bit stronger when I when I go home, but it's yeah, yeah. Your accent yeah. is your accent. It, you know, your waters down a bit,
2: but you you keep it. Yeah. So you know the um the you know I look at this and it's a his pictures in sort of the big picture and it's a bygone era. You know, we don't have very interesting trains anymore and. and well in a lot of the world i would guess we're more it's more of a utilitarian thing um it it uh i mean it's just like the case of anything in the past you know m- people men with fedoras you know hundreds of them walking around new york city streets or whatever, london streets it's a lot different than today and half the people wearing baseball hats and zillions of I colors think it's a different
1: romanticized the past more than it deserves <laughs>
2: Well, no, I agree. But I think people do that in general. Yes, I, I think there's that, that pull towards the nostalgic and thinking like, oh, that was the time period when these were the things. And, 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 and to just fast forward, you know, 70 years from now, people are probably going to be saying the same things about the pictures that uh, you and I are taking today. You of your railroads and me of my street photography. Like, oh, look at the way the people dressed back then. And well, know, I mean, 100 years from now, people will all be wearing
1: the time, right? again. again. Uh, huh? your, your pictures very much speak of the now. So I I would absolutely hope that fifty years from now your pictures will be a very accurate representation of the of the then, right?
0: Oh of not, not, of,
1: not <laughs> of what the high polloi were doing, right? Not of what the, the celebrities were doing, of what the
2: humans were doing. What the humans are doing, yeah. And and I get that sense from from his pictures as well, as uh especially because he very much wants to include people in his shots. And they're not the hoi polloi,
1: um, right? This isn't the mayor of the local town. This isn't the chairman of the railway. This is the guy polishing the headlamp and, right, uh, right. The, you know, the the, the the pensioners on the porch. This is right. normal, normal people.
2: And it's life. It's just like, OK, yes. today we're watching a movie with a, you know, a MiG flying on the screen or a saber jet, whatever it is. And there happens to be a giant railroad uh, coming through. <laughs> And 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 that's okay. That's just and the, and we're we're still in love because we're sitting in the car together, uh, you know, uh, romantically watching um, this film. And this train is going by, and that's fine. That's just what uh, American life is at this time, at this uh, at this place.
1: Yeah, yeah. Antonio, this has been absolutely great fun, but I'm going to draw a line under it. Uh, so I'm going to resume <laughs> my hosting duties. <laughs>
2: Are you kidding me? It, 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 we've only been doing this for an hour 20 or something like that. And, and I, I could keep going. Time, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I know. But it's... I didn't think I could talk this much about this stuff. But I think there's a lot to be. You know, you, you bring up this this photographer who's in a sense very specific about things, but there's broader uh, there's a much broader discussion Um built into this so it was very exciting to to sort of discover that with you
1: yeah and 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 thank you for for agreeing to to do it because you know it's it's fun to be able to to share my love of 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 Winston Ling's work because you can see why this guy speaks
2: yes obviously I can see why and I think I I also appreciate you sort of uh bringing it to to life for me As well as as someone who is, uh, you know, inspired. This is someone who is inspiring. you, And so I get to learn a little bit more about you through his work, you know, and and that's um, that's kind of a great position to be in. So.
1: Well, as I say, when when you were on with with the other show, I got exactly the same experience where I got to learn about, you know, a photographer through you. I mean, it was Penn that you basically sold to me. And I was vaguely familiar with Penn's work, but I learned I I had a hell of a lot more appreciation for it after our conversation than before.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's... uh... I, so boxy a little bit here. I think generally that's what's missing in, in, in photography these days a lot where we're so many people are concerned with the moment and pictures that are not necessarily in context. And I really want to sort of, uh, open it up to you and the audience and even myself is to really start trying to pay attention to pictures in context. And, and very much link is, uh, about pictures in context, you know, a, in terms of, um, the amount of work that he did and his dedication to it, but even just the images the, themselves. Um, so, like you know, you very much are showing your pictures, Bart, about the context of the the uh, railroad in Ireland, uh, and I think that's that's very important. And we have to kind of remember to go back to that. When you when I saw that book that you pulled off the shelf of his, you know, it, it, going back to physicality, going back to a single subject matter that we can focus on, um, uh, I think is important not to give up things like Instagram and social media and stuff is great, but we have to remember that that's not necessarily only photography. Photography is also about telling a story over time and yeah. what's important and exciting. So like keep the, you know, for everybody, keep that in mind uh, as, as you're taking pictures.
1: Yeah. Build a body of work as well as just a collection of stuff that you post on, on Instagram or whatever. Yeah. That's that's yeah. a really good way to end. Thank you. Antonio. Yeah. So um, do you want to remind the listeners where they can listen to more of your work?
2: Yeah. uh, I'm on the Street Shots Photography podcast. Um, You can go to the website, which is streetshots.photography. That is (laughs) a very descriptive URL. It's it's just very easy. Probably the best place to find it. I post the show there. But the show is available on any place you can get podcasts for, for the uh, most part, iHeartRadio iTunes, Google, Spotify. I've been trying to make sure I get all the places. But, uh, um, that's, you know, I post the show notes on streetshots dot streetshots.photography. And uh, if you want to see my work, it's um, just look for A.M. Rosario, A-M-R-O-S-A-R-I-O. So at A.M. Rosario on Instagram, at A.M. Rosario on Twitter, at A.M. Rosario on Flickr, A.M. Rosario.com. Like that, you can't not find me. But, it's uh, great to have yeah, an old
0: name, isn't it?
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> like, yeah. Although I have to, I have to say,
2: like, I have to make sure my middle initial is in everything because when my middle initial is not on everything, I get confused with uh, people who have been in trouble a lot. Ooh, ooh, okay, <laughs> I so make my, sure my, my middle initial is important, you know. But anyway, yeah, look for me uh, any place where, uh, uh Am Rosario. So cool.
1: OK, well, I've been your host, Bart bushots. you can find me at B.ie. And before I finish up, I should say that there will be show notes at lets-talk.ie, where I've gathered together links to the various photographs we've talked about, and a few more, actually. And also I've embedded the YouTube of the documentary that we mentioned, and also linked to the book that mum bought me. So if anyone wants to try track down a copy, the details are there. And while you're on that page, there's a Header saying support the show. I want to thank everyone who has in any way supported the show. There are no ads, this is an entirely listener supported show, and I greatly appreciate all of you who have made that possible. And if any of you would like to contribute to that, then you can make a one off donation on PayPal, you can become a patron on Patreon. Or you can support the show in more nerdy ways if you're the kind of person who registers domain names there's a hover.com affiliate link or the kind of person who needs virtual machines. The um, DigitalOcean affiliate link is great because it gives you a little bit of free hosting credit and it gives me hosting credit. And this show is hosted on DigitalOcean. So that hosting credit literally feeds into hosting let's-talk.ie. So it's very self-referential. Anyway, I've been your host Bart Bushots. So you'll find me at bartb.ie. And until next time. Happy snapping.
0: You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network.
2: When The Rock is not making movies or laying the smack down on fools the rock listens to the tech fan podcast with tim and david can you smell what the rock is cooking